If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be reading verses 1 through 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 19. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved. If you hold fast that word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained for the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we have... we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ We are of all men the most pitiable. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne because we want to learn about you and to grow in our understanding of this glorious gospel you have given us through your son. What you show us in in your word, we hide in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Hear our vows, and we will recount with our lips all your ways and lift our voices in rejoicing at your great riches. Help us this day to open our hearts and meditate on your vows to us and consider your ways. We delight in your commands, and we will not neglect your word. Help us, Father, in Christ's name, to stay true to you. Amen. Over the years, we have discussed the changing worldview we face in Christians, as Christians. As believers, you are called by Scripture to believe in the Word of God, to follow its direction in how you live your life, how you develop your worldview in which you live that life. The Word begins by telling you you are to believe in a sovereign God. You are to understand 
that total, the total depravity of mankind and your need to seek guidance through the word of God for your life. All this means you're to recognize your own inability to shape your life. The believer comes to, to life with the understanding. It's a gift from God and he is the one in control. The church today is in a terrible struggle. Many of the, in the church are compromising this understanding. They're following a secular worldview. Instead of believing in a sovereign God, they have decided to believe in the personal autonomy of man. The founders of our great nation were men, men who believed in a sovereign God. They knew that adherence to the truths of God's word and recognition of his control over the affairs of men was essential to the correct worldview. The ideas of our founding fathers have been severely perverted. We have gone from acknowledging the power and authority of a sovereign God to the appalling idea of the personal autonomy of man. The effect of this on the church has been devastating. What this does is cause a move away from responsibility to rights. Instead of obedience to God's word as the root of life, the rights of man become the root. This is a worldview that places man on top of an evolutionary process without any thought as to how he reached such a lofty goal. It makes him responsible to no one and dependent on no one but himself. The ultimate end of such a philosophy is that man is completely autonomous. Everything, everything revolves around him and around what he wants. All controlling authority is removed. In other words, every man begins to do what is right in his own eyes. Therefore, rights are what take control in man's heart and responsibility is banished. The chief end of man becomes the fulfilling of his own desires. As this worldview enters the church, the church is changed from an organization serving God to one that serves man. This causes the government of the church to go from one controlled by truth to one controlled by the lowest human emotions. It destroys the foundation upon which Christ said the church was to be built. It ignores the most fundamental teaching of the scripture and establishes a false foundation that rests only on sinking sand. The results of this compromise brings about something that is very hard to fight. It produces tremendous success from the world's point of view. It can build megachurches. It can build ministries that can command great crowds. You can see this by simply turning on the television. People are flocking to those places where they are fed a constant diet of personal autonomy. They want to hear about how they can control their own lives and even better, how they can make God work for them in getting what they want. The messages being preached are very careful not to present the true gospel, that men are lost and without hope, that they cannot save themselves. Instead, they're told they can save themselves. They are taught that Jesus was sent only to help them save themselves. It is clearly declared that salvation is in their hands, thus making them autonomous even in salvation. I love each one of you. 
And it's my great desire that you grow in your knowledge of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastors are repeatedly asked to compromise the truth, to allow room in their churches for those who don't agree with them on the true message of the gospel. It becomes a very agonizing fight. All pastors want their churches to grow. It's painful for them when they don't. As a pastor, I vowed before God, just as you took vows of membership, we promised God that we would be true to his word. I promised that I believed and held to the understanding of the gospel found in the Westminster Confession of Faith. I must not violate that vow just as you must not violate your vows of membership. To do so would be a rebellion against God and a denial of his grace. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 through 7 speaks of the importance of keeping vows. The preacher of Ecclesiastes says we're to guard our steps when we come to worship. He says it's important that we come to listen and not to offer sacrifices of fools. He makes it clear those who do this don't even know they're doing wrong. He tells us not to be quick to speak or hasty to utter anything before God. He says when you make a vow before God, be quick to pay it. Don't be the fool who makes a vow and then recants it. He says when you make a vow before God, just stand in that vow. Vows are important before God. Hold fast to your vows and be responsible. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 8, where the Apostle Paul declares the foundation of the gospel he presents. It is clearly grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's message always made three things stand out. That Jesus lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, and won the resurrection victory. As Paul begins, he points out three very important things about where his gospel comes from. First, he points out he has received this message. Second, he underlines that every point in his message is according to the scriptures. Third, he establishes the dangers of straying away from the truth of this message. What Paul received is called the gospel, a message reformed from what was hidden in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come, that he would live a perfect life and die in atoning death. This was the gospel message that began in Genesis 3.15. We call it the Reformed Gospel. The word reform seems to cause some people problems. Well, it shouldn't. The message is simple. The gospel is God's work in the hearts of dead men. God reforms your darkened heart and makes it into a very new heart, a heart of light and of spiritual life. Verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Now I, just as the Apostle Paul have come to you here at Whiteside to deliver to you that which I have received. It is the same message Paul preached. It is a reformed message. Reformed from the Old Testament, delivered in the New Testament. It says that God, through Jesus Christ, 
has completed the work required for the redemption of his people. He is now, through the proper preaching of that gospel, calling his people to come unto him. You must understand, Satan is not sitting idly by and watching this happen. He is actively seeking every way possible to compromise this message, to dumb it down, if you will. He has very successfully gotten a large part of the church to disdain doctrine. Use the word around them and they say, I don't need doctrine, I need application. What utter nonsense. Doctrine is the truth of God's word. It is what must be applied. How can you build a house without the materials needed to build it? Have you ever tried to build something without any raw materials at all? Well, that is what you're being asked to do without doctrine, to build a worldview without materials. My friends, if you're to stand firm in God's truth, you cannot avoid the study of his scripture. It is only through his word as given you in the Bible that you can know his truth. I preach to you that which I have received. Where did I receive it? I received it from the study of the scripture. Paul does not agree with this concept of application without doctrine. Look at verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He says he has given them the gospel he received. He received it according to the scriptures. We, as a Reformed church, believe in the whole counsel of the scripture. We don't break the word up into sections and say this section or that section has no application to us. We don't say part of it was written to somebody else and has no meaning for us. We believe in the total sufficiency of God's word. This is a doctrine that teaches us to search the word for the answers to all of our concerns. To ask of God through his word for the things that can make our lives better and more abundant. It is a trust in our sovereign God and the plan he has revealed to us in the scripture. We understand from 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, Paul tells us to continue with what we have learned and have become convinced of. You know those who have taught you what they have taught from the Holy Scriptures. You know those scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation and that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. The apostle lays out how we got these scriptures in verses 16 and 17. Now I'm reading from the NIV here. Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that the scripture is able to make one wise. So wise that you can see your sin and recognize you have need of a Savior. Wise enough to see that salvation comes from a sovereign God and not by your own actions. Wise enough to understand that the only Savior is Jesus Christ and that all of God's revelation is pointing you to him. Paul tells you right here. All scriptures God breathes is useful for teaching. The word used for teaching here is indicative of education. The doctrine used as the truths of God's word comes from the Greek word 
Didasco, which means to teach. I ask you, if God uses that word, why should you be afraid of it? When people don't know and understand the teaching or doctrine of Scripture, your responsibility is clearly laid out in the Great Commission. What does it tell us we're supposed to do? You're to teach them to obey everything God commanded in the Scriptures. Doctrine is the truth of God's word, and you're to teach it. He continues, you continues, you are to use this truth. You're to use it to teach, to rebuke, which is another bad word in many people's eyes. The world says if you rebuke someone, it might hurt their self-image. So what? Let's not tell anyone the truth. Let's not tell anyone they're wrong. I heard an interview with Joel Osteen. You may know that name. He's a television preacher that has a monstrous church in Texas. I see him on TV every now and then. And in the church is a re- the church is a refurbished basketball center. And it holds more than 50,000 people and it always seems to be full. In the interview, Mr. Osteen said he never talks about sin. Sin, according to him, is not good for people to hear. It might make them feel bad, so he never mentions it. So he never uses scripture to correct or rebuke anyone. But according to the scripture, that's your responsibility to one another. You're to call each other to hear God's word. You are also to call them to follow its teaching, and it clearly teaches a great deal about sin. How can anyone who has vowed to preach God's word ignore sin? The apostle continues and says, you're to use the truth of the word to correct and train. There again, the world hates these concepts and they will try to get you to avoid them. Don't correct, they say, that's bad. If you don't correct a child, what will he grow up to be? He will grow up to be an undisciplined adult that cannot be lived with. Our prisons are full of just such people. The world would also have you believe you should not train a child in righteousness. Just let him grow up doing his own thing. Then he can, when he's grown, he can make this his decision about religion. Now, I heard Bill Mayer on TV saying this exact thing. It's kind of strange hearing it come from him. The world wants no standard imposed on anyone. They want everyone to do what is right in their own eyes. Thus a woman can murder her unborn child. Two homosexuals can marry. And as we have so tragically seen lately, a person who feels mistreated by society can go out and riot and destroy property and even kill innocent people as an act of retribution. Why does God tell you to use the word for these things? Doctrine, rebuking, correcting, and training. He does that so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're to train and equip the saints of God, you cannot cannot be afraid of the words that the unsaved use to describe what you are. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm Reformed. I believe in the true gospel of Jesus Christ as it is formed in the word of God. That is what makes me all of the above. 
I am reformed from a life of sin to a life of holiness. I am reformed from a spiritually dead man to a new creature in Christ. I will not act ashamed of what I am or of the one who made me. I will not throw out the word doctrine simply because some are offended by it. They aren't offended by the word. They're offended by what that word stands for. We are told in Ephesians 6, verse 11 and then verse 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done, having done all to stand. What's the main point here? He calls you to stand firm. I want to see Whiteside Presbyterian Church stand firm. If we hold to the whole counsel of God's word, if we believe the gospel according to the scriptures, then let's not turn away from it. Let's rise up and loudly declare our position and challenge all those that walk through these doors to join us in that stand. I would ask you, for myself, for every other pastor you know, the same thing Paul asked of the Ephesians in 6, 19 through 20. Again, from the NIV. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. I pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Know this, pastors need your help and support. Being a pastor is not easy. No other job requires the same faithfulness and perseverance. There is nothing that compares with the pressure and responsibility of preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That same pressure and responsibility to some degree belongs to each member of the church. How can you as a church member move forward in the truth of the gospel if you don't stand together as a church body and declare your intentions to stand firm? Now Paul warns in verse 2, and here you can see that pressure applied. You either believe this gospel message and stand firm in it, or you believe in vain. He makes clear it all comes from the scriptures. It is the word of God. He also explains that it was well grounded in the testimony of many, including himself. Verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8. And that... He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. He warns. He warns that you must believe this gospel. It's imperative that you hold true to this gospel. Why? Because it's the true gospel from God's word. Because it shows his actions through his people. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Paul says he declared the true gospel to these people. They received it. They stood in that gospel. 
This is the gospel that saves them. He makes what today many would call a hard statement. He says, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, you will not believe in vain. The implication is clear. It stands out as clear as the nose on your face. If you turn away from the reformed gospel of scripture, your faith will be in vain. My friends, the forces are gathered against the reformed gospel. They're calling you to abandon the truth and follow another gospel. They talk of Jesus and of being born again, and it can be very difficult to see the difference, but it's there. They don't ever act quickly, but ever so slowly. They change the meaning of a few words here and there, and they hide those changes. They throw out this word and that word and then put new ideas in their place. It is slow compromise until the real gospel is lost and forgotten. Don't tell me it can't happen. History is full of such examples. There are those who say all you need is Jesus. The implication being don't bother me with doctrine. We're living in just such an era today. The truth has been gradually replaced with the imaginations of men. Men don't want to hear the truth. They'd rather have their ears tickled. They want to think they can manipulate God and tell him how it's going to be. They don't want to hear they, are, they aren't in control. They don't want any part of a sovereign God who is ruling his creation. So what are they doing? trying to dumb down the church, trying to make us all morons that can't think about deep things of God. I refuse this direction. God's word uses many words I don't understand until I look them up and study. That's what God has called his people to do. I ask you, please, join me in making this a church that has high expectations of God of God's people, that we will study and strive to grow in our understanding, that we will join together in prayer and thanksgiving before God regularly, a church that will take pride in its Reformed heritage and will go forth witnessing to others the truths of God's Word. The truths you need to be telling others are simple. You need to tell them they're sinners, you who have fallen from God's grace. They then tell them they were created to be the crown of God's creation. But because of sin, they have fallen into a totally unacceptable place before God, unworthy of his attention. Tell them of Jesus Christ and how he came down from heaven to do for them what they could not do for themselves. He came to live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory they needed in order to be restored to that wonderful place God made them to fill. This is the true gospel of Scripture. No other gospel can change hearts and lives. It is a gospel that declares God's grace and mercy. A gospel that places God ahead of men and makes men dependent on him alone. It is a gospel that says you are unworthy of salvation in yourself and unable to save yourself. It is a gospel that rewards humility and turns away from pride. 
It is a gospel that reforms the sinner into a saint by the power of God and of God alone. If, if you will hear this gospel and will believe in its power to save, you will begin to develop a new worldview. A worldview that says there is a sovereign God who is in control of all things. A worldview that will cause you to look at others and see their needs. A worldview that will put those needs ahead of your own and will focus your attention on how you can be a better citizen of this world and of heaven. Dear people, if men would take up this new worldview, imagine how our world would change. A world where men viewed the needs of others as more important than their own rights. It almost sounds like heaven, and rightly so. God calls his people to come and gather in his name under the protection of his wings. The only way you can find that place of protection is through the study and belief of God's word and the truths it teaches. I beg you. I beg you, do not believe in vain by denying the truths of God's word. Study his word and stand firmly what you learn from it. Don't allow anything or anyone to sway you. What is the first truth you must hold to? That Jesus Christ was sent from heaven as the only begotten son of a sovereign God. He came to live the perfect life you could never live to die the atoning death you needed to be saved and to win the resurrection victory in order to open the gates of heaven on your behalf. Don't allow anyone to deceive you. This is the only true gospel. So may I ask, where do you go to form your worldview? I trust you will go to the Holy Bible, and that you will let words of God, the words of God, fix your heart so that your view will develop according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Everlasting Father, we come before you as you are seated on your throne. We come to praise you. Please hear our prayer and grant us grace. We know you're the creator and we owe to you everything. Help us as we study your word to grow in our understanding that you are the sovereign Lord. Grant unto us the insight we need to build in our hearts a godly worldview that will bring forth from our lives your glory. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship. May what you have shown us from your word fill our hearts. We thank you for all of these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.